This program contains adult content. Is there a God? A big atheist. Really? What, am I an idiot? Come on. That yes, it would be nice if you could throw your sins and your responsibilities on someone else. But it's not true. It looks like far-left lunacy. I don't believe that it's true that religion is moral or ethical. You don't need to follow anybody! It's not human intelligence! If someone doesn't value logical consistency, what logical argument are you going to give them that will demonstrate that they should? Hello and welcome to the Godless Revolution. Today is Sunday, May 10th. This is episode 291. It's Mother's Day in America. I'm Dan Ellis. Yeah, it is. <laughs> who, who else have I got on the phone with me today? Uh, this is uh, that guy in that room. <laughs> and the other guy in the other room. Yeah. Oh. Fantastic. <laughs> it's a mystery. <laughs> yeah. Matt and Ryan are joining me today for the show. Yay. Uh, we missed mystery you. Solved. <laughs> we missed Fuck. you last week, Matt. Uh, what have you guys done over the last week? Uh, more yard work. Made, made a made a Lowe's run this morning, and it is nice to have a truck now. Yeah, you can haul a yeah. bunch of shit. Yeah, I've got a bunch of paper stones and a bunch of flowery stuff. I think I'm going to go pick up a tree next week. Ooh, for for to put plant in the yard in the backyard. Yep, yep. Put a tree in the backyard to help give a little bit of shade to the house and stuff. And there, there nice. was a pretty good. It was, you know big trees for a good price and i was like huh i'm gonna come back next week and buy you <laughs> yeah and give you time to dig a big fucking hole in the backyard yeah then uh then last night i drank a lot of tequila with my neighbors oh yeah awesome yeah they uh well my my i live in a very hispanic community or area of town mm -hmm. and uh so called they, ogden <laughs> well, not all of Ogden, but the area of Ogden I live in is predominantly Hispanic around me. I'm like the only white guy that lives here, <laughs> which I kind of like because I have not very nice neighbors. Uh, he brought over some food for me, and I was like, oh, thank you, after I'd already eaten dinner, but the food is really good. Mm -hmm. So I just went over there to say hi, and I had some, some those shot glasses I made. I'm like, well, I don't have anything to do with them. I'm going to give them to him as a thank you. And then he said, you want another shot? And I'm like, okay, I'll take another one. And that led to like three more and some beer. And then one of the guys told me, he goes, we're from Mexico. In Mexico, if you don't want another drink, you got to leave. Or else, if I don't see a drink in your hand, I'm giving you another one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's about three hours. One tequila, two tequila, three tequila floor. No, they had the good tequila. Like, that's what he actually asked me if I could make him some shot glasses uh, with him and his wife's name engraved on them. And he said, tell me what you want and he's like i'm going down to mexico here again soon if you want a bottle of uh like authentic tequila from mexico let me know and i'm like that's good enough payment for me <laughs> nice yummy well that's cool yeah. yeah what about you matt not much new except my mom's got the rice aronas oh really Ooh, your mom's she? got the rona yep did she go to church <laughs> no, she was, they were on lockdown at the nursing home, so mm. it must have been staff. Yeah, but they transferred her to some COVID facility up in Salt Lake County. Uh, how's she doing? Well, 
She had been fine for the first couple of days, but then she started running a fever. So we'll see oh, how it goes. It'll probably kill her. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> uh. <laughs> what? How long ago was she diagnosed? Uh, like Thursday. Oh, okay. Well. Were they testing a lot of the people there, or like? Yeah, I'm guessing yeah. that she had a, a test performed and. You know, it as actually a, a positive diagnosis and test confirmation for COVID, not just, yeah. you know, she's an older lady in a nursing home and that's where this is running wild a lot of the time. And so if she's yeah. at all sick, we think that's what it is. Like she got an actual test. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So did my, so did my dad, which was a good thing. It, not that he hasn't interacted with her because so, they've been locked down, but yeah just in case and he used negative so that's good wow well negative so far did they have any close interaction within the last week or two no because the facility's been locked down yeah and it's been locked down for a while yeah for like a month or more yeah i think my mom was saying that's the way that their uh the nursing home that her mother's in is basically you can't come see her yeah. Wow. And Zero interaction. So they moved her to Salt yep. Lake. Uh, where whereabouts in Salt Lake? No idea. It? Oh yeah. Oh. An undisclosed oh. location. Yeah. My dad doesn't <laughs> even know. Oh really? Wow. wow. Yeah. Is that by design or just? Because he's old. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he just Whoa. doesn't. <laughs> Like last week, how I told you the internet's shitty. Yeah. You do got those fuckheads that are going to hospitals asking to see where their corona patients are. Oh, really? What? Oh, have, you, have you not seen those videos on YouTube where they're like, I don't see any corona patients here. It's all fake. It's all lies. No one actually has this. Are you fucking the kidding fucking me? Conspiracy- no, I'm not kidding you. The conspiracy theory fucks that are out there. They're trying to get into hospitals so they can see where all these corona patients are. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, that that exists. No, I wow. was I was completely unaware that that was a thing. Yeah, it's like the same people that do like their First Amendment audits and want to film everything and like, yeah, I'm filming in your police station and you're just sitting here filming everybody. I'm allowed to do this. Like, no, you're not, dude. Like, get the fuck out. Public building, I can film you. Yeah, I, I guess this Those just fucks are trying to get in the hospital. Yeah, this just falls in un, into what that category of things that. I am initially shocked by, but not necessarily surprised. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the age of Trump yeah, and all on, the fucking bullshit. Bring on the, yeah. Hey. Uh, yeah. I have a, I have a bunch of conspiracy theorist friends on Facebook for whatever reason. A lot of, a lot of people send me Facebook friend requests and unless and I, I usually do some vetting, you know, I'll go and check out their timelines yeah. and whatever. And, you know, unless, unless they're spewing really, really hateful stuff on their own timeline, I usually accept and then we'll just boot them after they've done something really stupid right. on my timeline. <laughs> when they start sharing shit. Yeah. But every now and then, you know, one of them will make a, a comment on a post that I have put out there and then I'd you know, spurs me to investigate their profile a little bit more 
and there was one of them today that I posted. I posted the thing about Donald Trump, you know, being a very polarizing individual, basically one of them, not one of, he is the most polarizing president we've had in the history of the United States as far back as they've been able to track any data though. And you know, that, what was it? It was like 60%, 67% or something like that, or 69% of people uh, have a strong opinion of him, whether that's a strongly favorable or unfavorable opinion. Oh, okay. Which, uh-huh. is, which is more than any other president in the history of the United States, you know? And, yeah, yeah. And so it, it's, it's like that, him. Yeah, it's just to show that he's a very polarizing individual. And this one of one of the people who... Uh, upon further inspection of his timeline is a clear conspiracy theorist who's easily duped by misinformation. He posted a comment under there, something about, well, maybe they should, you know, interview or, or question people who aren't CNN employees in the future. Oh gosh. And it was, and it's only because this story was published by CNN, but like, had he bothered to look at it at all, he would have seen that. I think it was like Monmouth and Fox and, some other poll that they used an aver- an aggregate number or an average yeah. between all of them to come up with this information. So it wasn't even a poll conducted by CNN. It was just that CNN reported the On results of other people's polls. Like, <laughs> yeah. So then I, one of my other Facebook friends asked, how I end up with people like that on my timeline. And I was, or where do I find people like that? And I'm like, I don't find them. They find me. They find me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's getting so difficult for people who haven't been provided any skills or education on how to ferret out what is true and accurate information or how to even obtain or find true and accurate information. And it's getting to be a really fucking weird time that we're living in, man. Like so many people think that you can't believe anything you hear anywhere about anything because it's all subject to people's opinion and bias, which of course it's all subject to bias, but there are ways to figure out if the information is still accurate. And I think most people or a, a huge fucking number of people just don't have the skills in order to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I, I went and made a post on a Trump site today because they're putting out the meme where it's like, Trump is giving up his salary for the next eight years. Uh, and that's going to come to a, a savings of like $40 million for the American public. <laughs> and I had to go in there and put it on there. I'm like, to date, Trump has spent $380 million at his own resorts with taxpayer-funded money. Mm-hmm. So he's not saving his money. He's spending taxpayer money at his fucking resorts he owns. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. going into his pocket. Yeah. Yeah, he's making a fuck ton more off of vacationing at his own resorts than he ever would have with his presidential salary. Like, I can't remember what the, it was. It was something like he was charging secret service. like $680 a room at his Trump towers when he would stay there. Yeah. I think that's $680 a room for how many secret service agents plus their plus airline fare. Yeah. I'm like, he's making bank off of this. He's, he's helping, he's using taxpayer money through the Secret Service and his travels to keep his businesses afloat. Oh, yeah. Well, and then it's all of their meals and other incidental expenses. And, yeah. 
you know, that, that all comes on, on the taxpayer's dime. And then the money that is spent at the hotels gets funneled back to him. So yeah, yeah he's, he's making a, one of his Trump yeah, he's making a fuck ton more off of going on vacation than, mm-hmm. than he ever is giving up with his presidential salary. It's nuts to me yeah. that people are that fucking deluded. Like they're, they're so, they're so desperate to find confirming information for what they want to believe about this monster of a person that they'll highlight things like that, that are so easily disproven. It's like, maybe you should take, you know, 30 seconds to think about what you're going to say before you actually say it, because you look like a fucking idiot. The same people that would say Obama gulped too much while he was president are now going to say that Trump, Trump, it's good for him to go golfing, to blow off a little steam because he's doing great stuff for America. (laughs) And honestly, Hmm. you know, I think it's probably all all these fiscal conservatives. Yeah. 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 Well, and I wonder, I wonder if it's probably in the public's interest that he go golfing more often than he does because then he's not doing things to actively fuck up the country. Yeah. 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 Let's let Dr. Fauci take over the Corona shit and Trump, you can go golf as much as you fucking want. Yeah. Like it'd be interesting to find out if there was a way to quantify how much the, how much the American taxpayers are actually saving by sending him on these paid vacations where he's enriching himself versus having him actively work to harm the economy and the rest of the populace. Well, you think that you assuming he's actually been working this whole time. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) <laughs> yeah but uh oh, i mean <laughs> oh go ahead oh, i'm just saying i'm like he's got his kids in there making decisions he's put all this his rich buddies in there and he just put who was that last guy he put into a high position that used to be a dog breeder like these people have no no reason to be in these positions in the white house no experience no specialized so I, training no experience yeah, yeah. Besides being big donors, when people say, I don't want a, a career politician, I'm like, well, will you say the same thing about your doctor? Yeah, it's, it's just Do you not pure, want a career doctor? Yeah, it's pure cronyism. Someone who knows cronyism. how to navigate the system? Yeah, yeah it's, pure, it's pure cronyism. Like, it, it doesn't matter if you have any relevant experience, information, specialized knowledge, or training. It's yeah. just, how what have you done for me, the president? For me, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, speaking of facts and data and stuff, we had an interview with Allison Gill from American Atheists. Allison is the vice yeah. president over legal and policy for American Atheists to talk about the secular survey that they released parts of and, and a bunch of information on just last week that was very, very interesting. I'm excited to do that. So we'll get to the interview with Allison right after this little break. And why, why should they take offense that I don't believe in their God or any other God? And I'd say to them, you know, tell me the reasons why you don't believe in all the other gods, and that's the reason I don't believe in yours. And uh, I've got nothing against people believing in God at all, you know. Um, uh, in, in fact, if, if it, you know, did make you a kinder person, if you only did good things in his name, mm-hmm. then great, you know, but there's the rub. Uh, it's when uh, I see some of these religious fundamentalists saying that um, they've told their five-year-old children that if they turn out gay they will burn in hell Mm. that to me is child abuse hey everybody it's x from the utah outcasts podcast and youtube channel and you're listening to the godless revolution 
Thank you to everybody who has rated the show on iTunes and Stitcher and are following us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And to all our Patreon patrons, you make the show possible. All right. Joining us via Skype is Allison Gill. She is the American Atheist Federal and State Advocacy and Religious Equality Litigation Expert for American Atheists. How are you, Allison? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's it's a Sunday in the afternoon, and so, of course, yesterday I spent the day being very busy, and my entire body is very sore. Because, you know, I'm, I'm approaching 50 and I'm out of shape and all of that kind of stuff. But I'm I'm really glad to have this opportunity to talk to you. Uh, we wanted to get you on the line to talk about the American Atheists Secular Survey. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. And thanks for inviting me. So the U.S. Secular Survey was this massive survey of non-religious people that we did last year in October through November. We actually ended up with 34,000 uh, participants all across the country. And so what we put out this week was the reality check report um, entitled Reality Check Being Non-Religious in America, which is the first breakdown of that survey data. And it takes a broad overview of what we found all across the country and, and issues like um, challenges that, that non-religious people have in their lives, how they build communities together and what they must care about. That's awesome. What was the primary motivation behind doing this? I know that, you know, a lot of the data in the past has been kind of gleaned from other surveys. Was What was the main focus of this one? Absolutely. So um, one of the major problems, I, I actually came from the LGBTQ movement before getting involved with the secular movement and uh, working for American Atheists. And it was remarkable to me when I first came into the secular movement, how little data we have about non-religious people and about our communities, which is a real problem because without data, basically you're invisible. If you can't talk about the needs of your people and, um, you know, use that data to back it up when you go speak with lawmakers, then basically you don't exist. And so I saw this as a real lack, a real need when just coming into the movement. It's something that the LGBTQ movement has been focusing on for many years to get onto federal surveys. Right in around things like education and healthcare and you know uh, mental health, all those different areas, and yet none of those federal surveys ask anything about religion, and therefore we can't do any breakdowns, not just for non-religious people, but also for religious minorities on these areas to see where the disparities are. So this survey was a chance for us to find out that information broadly about our community, and also to build you know research tools that we'll be able to use to advance our advocacy. Yeah, and I think that's all fantastic because we don't really have a lot of good data about, you know, people who are non-religious, who who are atheist. What is, you know, for the people who did respond to this, is were they atheists only or was this open to anybody who just is, who would otherwise identify themselves as, an, as a nun that we hear so much about? That's a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. So, Basically, um, there's a few really good population surveys out there that look at religious belief in America, and they, including from Pew Research Center and PRI, and they've sort of created this category called nuns or religiously unaffiliated people, right, which is about 25% or so of the population, and it's rapidly growing. It's actually, I think, in the past few years, eclipsed um, Catholic people and also evangelical. So it's, it's, it's growing. It's great. But at the same time, those people are not all non-religious. Although non-religious people fall into that broader category, 
the data shows that about 30% of them say that religion is very important to them, and about 60% believe in some form of deity or higher being. So it's not exactly the same thing as an atheist, right? Mm. Yeah, because you can be non-religious and spiritual at the same time. Yes, you can have some new new age beliefs that yeah. you know we don't even understand. <laughs> 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 um, so you know, it's, the data shows that only it's closer to about nine percent of the population that is atheist or agnostic. And so we wanted to capture those people in that survey. So people that affirmatively identify with one or more non-religious labels, such as atheist, humanist, agnostic, skeptic, or free thinker. And I think that's fantastic because I think what has happened, particularly within the last year or two, uh, maybe three or four even, is that that group who is separating themselves away from mainstream religion and, you know, the most most outlets are identifying as the nuns are being viewed, you know, both in the skeptic atheist community and those outside of it as, as members of the atheist community when, you know, as you just said, a lot of them are not. And that it's confusing. It confuses the data. And let me give you a specific example of that. We found that the people that participate in our survey were very likely to be registered to vote and very likely to be politically engaged and frequently vote. Well, there's the, the stereotype is from the data that this broader community, you know, of non-religious people, of I'm sorry, religiously unaffiliated people or nuns, that they, they are not politically engaged and they don't vote, so that they have a lower voting rate. And that's not true for our population, and now we can show that when before the data was sort of obfuscated. Yeah, and I think that's a great point because, like you said, I, I think a lot of people, when they look at this group that, you know, they're identifying as nuns, they see that they're not politically or they're not religiously affiliated. And then they try to extend that somehow to be that they're not politically affiliated either. And, and I think we do so at our own peril. Exactly. Because we need to be able to show to lawmakers that we're a powerful block and they should care about what we think about things and that we have, you know, if we can show we vote at such high rates and I think, I think 95% were registered to vote. That's wow. uh, amazing. It's nearly as high as it is for evangelicals, about the same. And that shows, you know, how we can build a political power block that matters. Yeah, now you said earlier that this is the, the first report coming out for this. Is there going to be more data rolled out from this uh, survey? And do you continue on doing this survey more often, like every other year or every five years to get a continuing uh, data set? Sure. So we are going to release additional reports based on this data. We want to do special breakouts based on subpopulations that have specific needs. Like, for example, I think the first one we'd like to do is for non-religious young people, because we found some very interesting numbers around non-religious young people, including things like family rejection, higher rates of being assaulted, that sort of thing. Uh, we'd also like to do them in various different other subcategories of people, like, for example, black non-believers, um, ex-Muslims, different, different groups with different disparities. Um, we'd also like to do it in the future, but I don't have any current plans for that. I mean, I think it would probably be about five years realistically because okay. these types of surveys are very expensive. Yeah. And so, time consuming. Yes. This, this was about a year and a half of work, honestly, but I yeah. think it was well worth it. Oh, yeah, definitely. So aside from uh, religious beliefs, it sounds like you collected some other demographic data. What what other types of demographic data were collected and and how do you plan on, you know, you said that you plan on using that to identify uh, specific minorities within our minority and, and you know, their preferences and beliefs. Uh, what other types of demographic information were collected? 
Sure. We looked at age, gender, uh, sexual orientation. We looked at race, ethnicity, um, things like employment and education, of course. Um, also, community type, you know, what type of area someone lives in, urban, rural, et cetera. Uh, we looked at geographic distribution. And we also looked at uh, the sort of religious upbringing. Like, for example, if you were raised in a Protestant Christianity household or, Judy, you know, Jewish or uh, Hindu, et cetera. And I noticed that you said that there was some interesting information about uh, young people who who participated in the survey. And you mentioned things around family separation and estrangement. And having recently been disowned by a couple members of my own family, that kind of piqued my interest. Um, what, what was the, what were the other infor- Yeah, Jeez, pardon me. <laughs> what were the other interesting bits of information about young people in, in particular that you took note of? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say that I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. And I hope things, you know, uh, get resolved in a positive way for you and oh, you're okay. able to find support that you might need. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so we looked at, there's a few different ways to look at this. First of all, we looked at negative experiences uh, that people have within the past three years. And the second highest one was among family. So more than 50% of people said that they had negative experiences with their family because of their religious, I mean, because they are non, non-religious, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Secondly, there are several different aspects of um you know, stigmatization that has to do with family, but I'll cover that separately. Third, we looked at family rejection. So this is, we have a chart, for example, of both young people that had family, were were treated negatively by their family uh, when they were under age 25, and also older people, like speaking about retrospectively, how it was for them when they were under age 25. And these are just people who's, you know, had a non-religious identity and they were out to their family as non-religious, if that makes sense. And so we found that about one third of people reported that their parents were somewhat or very unsupported of their non-religious identity, which is very high, unfortunately. And we found that moreover, um, with participants with very unsupportive parents were about 71% more likely than those with very supportive parents to screen positive for depression and about 15% higher you know, scores and loneliness. So it has psychological outcomes when people have family rejection. It also has educational, negative educational outcomes. Those folks were less likely to, for example, complete um, complete their college degrees and also higher level college degrees. So, you know, those are kind of sociological outcomes that are, I think, interesting, probably most so to sociologists and people who study public health, but it's also, you know, helpful to show the outcome of this sort of family rejection. Yeah, it's all really interesting information. I wonder if there's, it, it would be fun to just be able to tinker with the data. I'll, I'll bet you're having a lot of fun with that, you know, running running various queries or looking through the data to find uh, bits of particularly interesting information. What was the, what would you say is the most interesting bit of information that came out of this for you? The most striking thing for me, um, and it was probably obvious to you folks in Utah, but to me, I grew up in New Jersey and I live in Washington, DC. And so I was really struck by the remarkable difference in how non-religious people are treated in non-religious areas versus in very religious areas. Um, And it's just an incredible level of difference. We see in very religious areas, people are much more stigmatized. They face much higher levels of discrimination. 
and they have a higher level of, um, you know, loneliness and depression because of that and concealment um, because of that. So we studied those aspects. We also studied concealment, which I think is an important thing to talk about. But, um, you know, there's some charts in here where we so, show that the rate of discrimination in very religious communities goes up by like 2.5% in education, I'm sorry, 2.5 times in education or three times in employment, which is, you know, just absurd. It's almost four, uh, four in 10 face discrimination in education and three in 10 in employment, which is a remarkably mm-hmm. high rate of discrimination mm-hmm. in those areas. Well, I'm, I'm curious. I, would, I would never be able to run for public office in this state because I'm not Mormon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's sort of a monoculture, unfortunately. And that's a place where there's a lot of discrimination. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to to look at the uh, map that you've colored out uh, of the percentage of very religious communities by state and see that Utah and Idaho are really just sort of a, an extension of the Bible Belt. Um, I mean, even though they're not quite even attached, but uh, there's a lot of similarities in culture here with their with the evangelicals of the of the South. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, and you can see if you look you know, on the same sort of chart. Below that, we have, we broke out basically the percentage of religious communities by the level of stigmatization. And you can see Mississippi and Utah basically fall at the end of the, the most yeah. uh, religious communities and the most stigmatization very clearly. It's a very clear pattern. I'll also say this. I'm glad you put Puerto Rico in there as well. Absolutely. Yeah, we always try to include Puerto Rico where possible. Um, you know, and, and there's a... I've, I've spoken with many Puerto Rican people who say there's a level of, um, I don't know, uh, inculcation. There's not as much division of separation of religion and government as there are in many, many states, unfortunately. And it can be a, a culture that has a lot of stigmatization for non-religious people. I mean, I also like the inclusion because a lot of people forget that Puerto Rico is still a part. You know, they're not a state of the United States. They're still part of the United States. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I care about that a lot, a lot as a deep DC person. <laughs> 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 well, I'm curious too to know if there's any way in sifting through some of the data to know if there's any trend that can be spotted within the data that that would indicate whether people are becoming more polarized by through migration. You know what I mean? Where if you live in a religious community and you just can't take it anymore, you move to another area that is less religious where you can feel more comfortable and more open about who who you are and, and being who you are on a day-to-day basis. And if that, you know, if that discrimination is driving polarization or vice versa. Yeah, no, we can't really ask um, that those types of questions because we don't, this is not over time. It's more like a snapshot. So we can't look at, you know, how people are moving over time. Now, if we did the report years down the road, we might be able to show changes and talk about that. However, I think sort of related to what you're saying is how we look to concealment. When we find that in places that are higher percentage of very religious communities, like Utah and Mississippi, for example, there's also a much higher rate of concealment. Um, and, you know, the, we also show that concealment is associated with, with worse psychological outcomes. Like people feel more lonely and more depressed when they are sort of driven to conceal their non-religious identity. Yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I know one of the things that I was most surprised about is that you know Utah ranks right below Mississippi as far as uh, people experiencing discrimination because they don't have a religious identity or religious belief. That to me personally was was 
very shocking, honestly. And and it's probably because I live in Salt Lake County where it's much mm-hmm. more progressive, you know, a much more diverse and uh, urban area versus the rest of the state that is much more rural for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And we actually found interestingly that about um, nearly half of people that were said that they live in somewhat religious communities were about, were from urban areas. So, I'm mean, sorry. I'm sorry. I meant rural areas. So yes, when there's more, the more rural areas were also those that were most um, religious. Yeah. I think that tracks with uh, everything that I currently believe about how things work. You know, that if you're exposed <laughs> to, to more and different types of people that it reduces your discriminatory views against the, the particular minority that you may not have interacted with on a more regular basis. What, what you know, can, another aspect of this is that you, I know you're very connected with the, you know, the atheist groups in uh, Salt Lake City area as well. And we actually showed, we examined membership in local or in national organizations. And we showed that that's an important protective factor for people as well. When they are able to build non-religious community around themselves and participate, that can reduce loneliness and depression and, you know, build that supportive community really makes a difference. It's always been just really difficult, though, to get people to to join a non-religious community, right? It's especially when the focus is around the idea of religiosity. If you're, and especially that is difficult if you are in a particular area where you know religious views are the norm, and you know if you live anywhere in the Bible Belt, it's much more difficult, I'm guessing, to get people to join a. Uh, social group or community that is focused around the idea of not having a religious identity. What do you think we can do to make that easier for people? That's a great question. I think it goes back to concealment. Um, I think it's a matter of visibility for those who can sort of be uh, open about being atheist or non-religious. It helps make it more acceptable for other people. It's also hard. <laughs> that's that's the sort of the problem here. This the trade-off. It's it's challenging for people that are able to be visible, but at the same time, that's that's sort of what we need in order to change image over time. But the other thing, and I think this report is helpful to show this, is we looked at um, people's interests in being part of non-religious communities, and we looked at uh, five different types of activities: social opportunities debates and lectures, volunteer opportunities, advocacy, and resources for people with children. And we saw the percentages of people that had participated in those that were interested. So that you can, there's numbers there that are helpful to show where people's interests are. Um, I think the greatest level of interest was resources, resources for people with children, which is something that I feel like a lot of um, non-religious communities have not fully developed. Does that make sense? But oh, yeah. There's also, you know, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, absolutely. I know that, uh, you know, with every secular group that I've been a part of, it's been really difficult um, to get people to join. And a lot of that is because a lot of the people who would like to participate have a family and young children and they can't, you know, arrange a babysitter so that they can go and not be religious with somebody. (laughs) And so when they, you know, when they, especially when you're looking at organizing groups of people, it's more difficult for them to do that. And, then you have the other problem that, you know, we ran into here in Utah, at least, is that, you know, the people that have time available to help organize those community groups are the people who generally either don't have children or have very few children. And 
so the focus on including children is more difficult to get people to rally around and, and to plan other things to do for those families to come out and be part of your community in large part, because, you know, my for, take me, for example, you know, my kids are both older and so they didn't, you know, live with me and, and come to a bunch of the different things that I was doing as part of the, uh, as part of organizing that community. And so it wasn't front of mind for me to think, you know, is this a family friendly thing? What can we do to get more kids out? Or even what can we do as a, as a separate and unique, um, opportunity or event for people to bring their children to? Yeah, I think that you're hitting on exactly the right point. Um, and I, and I hope this provides some, you know, food for thought for people that are organizing these things and keep in mind that this is an important factor that would help bring out additional people to, to have a variety of events. And, you know, there's plenty of things, you know, not only just communities could do locally that could involve children. Yeah. And I think that the, the whole survey was planned out really well. And, you know, and there were a bunch of excellent questions that were asked. There was a bunch of uh, really good demographic information that you can use to pour back through a lot of the different data sets that were available. Is there anything about the survey that you would have wished were was done differently or other questions that you wish had been asked that weren't? Well, you always want to add more of these types of surveys. <laughs> I mean, I could think of, that's the problem. You have to keep it at a manageable size and also something that's possible to analyze, but, you know, try to try to get as much in there as possible. And I think we did a pretty good job at that. I, I'm, I'm very pleased with how everything turned out. Um, I mean, there's definitely things I would definitely want to include, but I don't have uh, a list of them at the moment. Like, one thing would be helpful to have, for example, was a time sense. Like, okay, discrimination happened. Uh, how long ago? You know, like, it'd be nice to know how things are changing over time and have more sort of longitudinal data. But I think that's the thing we can probably look at in the future. Yeah, those those types of data information or data inputs and points would be great when trying to compare and contrast if things are getting better or worse, you know, how much better are they getting, how quickly, all of that kind of stuff. And I think this is a great start to all of that. Um, you yeah, are I the, was, oh, go oh, ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say there was such a huge interest in the community in this survey. Um, you know, we had hoped to get five to 10,000 people to participate. And during the first eight hours, we got more than 10,000. <laughs> wow, <laughs> we, we were going to wow. keep it open for a month. And after two weeks, we had 34,000. And so we really had to draw it to a close. I don't know if you know this, but in survey land, you actually pay per response. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we uh, were running up against budgetary constraints, but it was well worth it to hear from that huge aspect of the community. And it really goes to show how much people want to be involved and tell their stories. And, you know, at the end, we had two sort of qualitative questions, so open-ended questions. We asked people about how they came to sort of identify as a non-religious and, you know, to tell the identity to other people and also about any experiences of discrimination they might have. And about one in three people um, actually took the time to fill out those responses, which is incredibly high for a survey like this. Usually it's about 5%. Oh, well, yeah. So that just goes to show how many mm -hmm. people care and want to want their voice to be heard. And also means we have well over 10,000 stories <laughs> and, yeah. and uh, that's so much data. We don't even have a capacity to analyze it at the moment. So one thing we can do, hopefully do in the future is figure out how best to use all that. I mean, this also goes to show why it's important to become a member of your atheist community. I mean, a paying member. I know not all, not all people are able to do that, but 
I mean, if it wasn't for paying members that American Atheists had, you guys wouldn't be able to do this in the first place. So, Absolutely. Yeah, no, we really it, appreciate it our membership, you know, being able to help us put this together and fund it, but supporting it by participating and also, you know, contributing to make it possible. Yeah. So become a member, people. <laughs> we also put in little snippets from the stories where we could throughout the report just to give like a flavor to what people are experiencing. And I think that adds a lot to it. Yeah, there's one I was actually just, I got it up on my computer screen as well, uh, that came from someone in Iowa that basically is saying that this survey helps them, you know, hope they can help them come out of the shadows and, and be open about who they are. So that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. No, a lot of them really made me feel like we're doing the right thing here. Yeah. So you are the first guest that we've had on the show since we've had to start doing some social distancing and not being in the studio with each other. So there's a bit of a, yeah. there's a lag between stuff and we end up interrupting, st- interrupting each other. And I have a hard time getting my thoughts organized because for whatever reason, it, it seems much easier for me to speak to people when they're right here in front of me. Um, Ryan and Matt, are there any other questions that you guys had that we didn't get to? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm just glad it's, it's out. I need to spend more time actually going through reading the entire thing. Uh, I, I'm kind of the person that scrolled to each graph right away and just kind of was reading the graph. <laughs> you like pictures? Uh, <laughs> I like pictures. I like pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. Yeah. I'm definitely a visual sort of thinker myself. It, it helps break it down in simple ways, visually. <laughs> but no, I'm, I think this is, this is awesome. I mean, I'm pretty sure I remember when this came out, I went and filled this out and did it myself. Uh, and, you know, this is the type of thing where I hope that there's able to get more money come in to American atheists. What is something that could happen? Maybe like you said, like every five years or so, uh, just kind of get a trend going on to see what's how this is progressing and how things are changing for the better. Absolutely. I mean, we'd love to do that if it was, you know, feasible. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, of course, we'll of see. Yeah. Um, another really useful thing I think for policy advocacy is, you know, there's a stereotype about atheists that all we care about is like crosses of public land, right? <laughs> and yet the we asked people mm. well, what what is their top three priorities, policy priorities for secular organizations. And the top three were maintaining secular public schools, opposing religious exemptions that allow for discrimination and access to abortion and contraception. And then yeah. the bottom one was actually opposing religious displays on public land, public property with about thirteen percent. So you can see that's like <laughs> the opposite of the truth, that people are yeah. most concerned about education and making sure we have a fair and constitutional education system. I, I agree 100%. <laughs> uh, did you have any other questions, Matt? Um, I think we covered most of it. I, I, I was, I just want to say I'm super impressed with you, Allison, how amazing it, it seems to me to you, your ability to absorb and recall all of this information. Um, oh, well, thank you. I appreciate very, that. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> and is there anything that, uh, that we haven't discussed that you wanted to talk about in particular, Allison? No, I think we've covered a good portion of it. So thank you all very much. Fantastic. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was excellent to speak with you about this. And and Matt is absolutely right. I am thoroughly impressed whenever I hear you speak about your retention for this data and the way you can break it down into simple terms instead of acting like me who just fumbles with his words over and over until something occurs to him. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you give yourself enough credit, but thank you anyway. (laughs) Well, thanks a lot, Allison. I really appreciate you coming on the show. 
Okay. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thank you. You do the same. Do miracles happen? You know, after prayers, yes, they do. They happen exactly as often as miracles would happen if nobody prayed at all. Like God answers prayers precisely as often as those prayers would be answered if there was no God. Hi, this is Thomas Westbrook, and I have a YouTube channel called Holy Kool-Aid where I take topics and I break them down in five or ten minute videos trying to give a laser-focused perspective on religion, philosophy, and science. And you are listening to the Godless Revolution Podcast. If you have questions, comments, concerns, compliments, corrections, criticisms, or concepts for content, contact the show via email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com, by text or voicemail at 330-81-REBEL, or Twitter the twatter at TGR Podcast. Thank you! What an awesome person. I look forward to chatting with Allison at the American Atheist Convention in Phoenix next year. I've, Like I said, I've you know, watched a lot of her presentations and been in conference calls and stuff with her, but haven't had any one-on-one time with her. And she's just, she's awesome. She's, she's, she's very, very smart and fun to talk Mm -hmm. to and and fun to listen to a bunch of her, her perspectives on things. And the, the survey I think was an awesome thing too. Like just getting all of that information collected when that's never really been done before. Yeah. I like it very much. I think it'd be interesting to see the uh, the future information coming out, breaking down a different analytics. Yeah, it, I mean, it would be nice to have future information collected so that we can look back on the data we have now and see how that's trending and how quickly and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's I'm really yeah. glad that they've started that now. It would have been awesome had somebody done it years and years ago, and you know that we could have a bunch of information tracking up until now. But it's you know, better late than never. I'm glad that somebody has actually taken steps to do this and get that yeah. survey conducted. Because the only other information that's really been coming out before this was stuff coming from like the Pew Research, which wasn't very focused on the atheist community. It was more of a broad. Yeah, it was more, you know, religious belief across the nation. And then, you know, yeah. like we talked about in the interview, lumping people together as nuns. And then, but that doesn't really take into account what those nuns believe and that kind of stuff. So yeah. I think it was great that this is focused specifically on the non-believing community versus those yeah. who just don't have a particular religious affiliation. Well, speaking of religious affiliation, uh, I saw a, a reporting earlier today <laughs> this morning that Jim Baker has suffered a stroke and is yeah. sidelining himself for a little while which I thought was was encouraging news for people who are tired of this guy fleecing poor people and little old grandmothers sitting at home and frightening them with hell if they don't send him money for slop buckets. Mm-hmm. Fucking slop bucket king. <laughs> Hopefully his brain bleeds out. Sorry. So this story was, was published in Deadline. Uh, it says, televangelist Jim Baker recently suffered a stroke, according to a Facebook post Friday by his wife, Lori. As a result, the 80-year-old preacher will be taking what's described as a sabbatical from his television show. For many years now, Jim has been working nonstop, working hard to bring incredible profits and guests to our show, discovering and developing new products to share, and bringing forth the message for the days that we're living in. All of these projects uh, and the vigorous warfare that we have experienced in the last several weeks have taken a huge toll on Jim's health, said the Facebook post. Wow. 
Baker was most recently chastised for touting a coronavirus cure on his program. New York State Attorney General Letitia James ordered Baker not to continue advertising the product Silver Solution on his website in early March. Four days later, Missouri filed a lawsuit against Baker and his production company for selling the treatment. Lori Baker noted, As a family and staff, we continue to fight the good fight of faith and take a stand against the evil forces and hatred that has come against our ministry. In Jim's words, this has been the most vicious attack that he has ever experienced. He is still dreaming and, and hearing from the Lord, and he already has a powerful word to deliver when he returns to the air. Well, I'm sure that's going to no. be... It's going to be really great information. Uh, Baker <laughs> Baker was previously convicted of fraud and served time in federal prison related to his activities connected to his popular Praise the Lord Club show, <laughs> a religious version of mainstream talk shows featuring Jim and wife Tammy Faye Baker. The couple later divorced in 1992 in the wake of a scandal that saw Baker pay hush money to cover up an affair with church secretary Jessica Hahn. But at one point in the 1980s, he was arguably the most prominent televangelist in America. And now he is sidelining himself. So one of the things that I thought was a little weird about this, at least in people's reaction to it, is that I posted this out on Facebook. And one of my Facebook friends, for some reason, thinks this is a conspiracy. They made a comment that... Yeah that said that he never had a stroke. He's trying to avoid getting persecuted for selling his cure for the Rona. He's as physically well uh, as any prison bottom bitch can be. And when I asked how or why would faking a stroke release him from prosecution, the answer I got was very unsatisfactory. <laughs> it just said, got to ask him. It's his fake stroke, which, uh, which doesn't, like, well, you're the one coming up with this conspiracy theory. Yeah, well, and it doesn't at yeah. all answer, and as Matt pointed out during the break-in recording, it doesn't at all answer the question that I asked. No. I asked how would it get him yeah. out of a, out, how would it get him out of prosecution? And for some reason, the answer I got was that I, that it, I'd have to ask him because it's his fake stroke. Like I didn't ask what makes him, him think it's a fake stroke. Anyway, it's just, I don't know. Com com communicating with people online is fucking frustrating as hell. Yeah. I've had some very frustrating interactions with people this week. that I'm just like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about or looking at. Like we're living in two different worlds right now. I don't, I don't understand where any of this is coming from, but yeah. I mean, there are certain prison areas that are held for people that are dying. Just because you're sick or ill does not mean you get to get away with crime. Yeah. Yeah, Harvey right. Harvey Weinstein is in prison, right? Yeah, he's he's very ill, and uh, and Flynn is not. I wonder if maybe he's got the Rona. <laughs> so Harvey, he's hiding himself away. No, if if Baker has the Rona, you know, if he's selling, you know, if, if I were to say that there's any conspiracy theory here at all, it wouldn't be that he's, you know, taking himself out of the public spotlight so that he can. Have, try to avoid prosecution because that yeah. just doesn't make any sense. If anything, if you wanted to promote a conspiracy theory that may actually have a chance of being true, it would be that he has the coronavirus and doesn't want anybody to see him suffering symptoms when he's been promoting this silver solution as a cure for the coronavirus. Right. That would make more yeah. sense. Which, which, 
which he is being sued for. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it doesn't mean that if he's sick, he doesn't, the, the lawsuit goes away. And we it's still going to happen. Yeah. Well, and we talked during the break too, that he's 80 years old. He does not look yeah, like he's which, 80 years old. Yeah. Which surprised that, that surprised the shit out of me. Yeah. Like, holy fuck. It's all that, it's all that clean living. Like, <laughs> Eating all the, the metals he's ingesting. Eating out of those slop buckets for some reason is conferred. Uh, oh, you know what? It's probably that he's been dining on the blood of his victims. <laughs> that's that's mm, allowed uh, him to maintain this youthful appearance for so long. Like, I'll eat your ass. <laughs> <laughs> he and Alex Jones have been, <laughs> been out eating uh, each other's ass. That's too good of an impersonation, Dan. <laughs> Uh yeah, I think I, I think I do a a passable Alex Jones. Oh, very passable. <laughs> uh, speaking of coronavirus, though, there is word that several people in the White House now have been have tested positive for the coronavirus, including one of Donald Trump's personal valets, Stephen Miller's wife, and, Katie Miller. Yeah. Um. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So that's I, I I did see a joke that she has coronaviruses to escape Stephen Miller. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just to get away from him for a little while. To get away from him. Yeah. Well, I would imagine that if she has it, it's more than likely that he has it, right? If they're Yeah. If they have a close with how relationship. Contagious they're saying this is, yeah, I would say he's got it too. Yeah. When he's quarantining, Dr. Fauci is quarantining. Um, well, yeah. I saw Dr. Fauci's doing a a modified quarantine. Which I'm not sure what that, I, I saw the headlines for that. I didn't read the article, so I was like, a modified quarantine. Either you are or you aren't. Did you Did you see what it meant by modified quarantining? I did. I, did, I didn't click on it, but I just saw, it was, I think it was on CNN, I saw that Dr. Fauci was going to be doing a modified Fake news. Quarantine. <laughs> it, uh, it, you know it, it definitely could be <laughs> Ten uh, fake news. did you find it on cnn is that what the problem is i'm yeah, yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm scrolling through on my phone right now uh yeah let's just continue <laughs> <laughs> uh there were a couple notable celebrity deaths this week due to coronavirus yeah. Um, Roy Horn of Siegfried and Roy survived he a tiger survived attack. A fucking tiger attack. Yeah, and and died because of the Rona. So that's that's not that's not very happy news for people who liked the uh, European version of Tiger King. <laughs> he died from Corona, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. What what I found more that I didn't realize about them. Is that they had been performing their act since 1950. Oh, really? They started doing their act in Europe in 1950. I was like, I didn't realize they had been around doing that act. Well, I mean, they haven't done it since Roy was attacked. But even then, that's a long run they had. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I just made the yeah. computer beep in your ears. Apologize, everybody. <laughs> um. The the last uh, story that we wanted to talk about tonight focuses on Dr. Fauci. We just said that he is going into a 
quarantine of some sorts? Yes. Modified I, I somehow? Maybe? <laughs> yes, it's modified quarantine after making a low-risk contract with the White House staffer who tested positive for the novel coronavirus. The low-risk assessment means he was not in close proximity to the person who tested positive during the time when that person was uh, known to be positive for coronas. Uh, he is not going to do a full quarantine like Dr. Stephen Hahn, uh, the commissioner for the Food and Drug Administration. Hahn came into contact with the individual who tested positive for the coronavirus. The FDA officials confirmed the end on Friday. So I guess I'm still not sure what modified means. But mm. yeah, he says he'll wear a mask continually for the next 14 days. Uh, he said he might also go to his office at the National Institute of Health where he is the only one there. He also will be tested every day, he said, noting that he was tested yesterday and was negative. Hmm. So he's just going to practice extreme social distancing while still doing his job. So, and well, and he's going to be testifying before the Senate next week, I believe. Yes. Or, well, it's this yes. week now that it's Sunday. Yes, as Fauci is expected to testify at the Senate hearing about the coronavirus next week, Redford and Han will now testify by video conference. So, yeah. There's that. Huh. Interesting. Uh, the other bit of interesting news that we have about Dr. Fauci this week is uh, pretty interesting, I thought. Uh, it was originally published in, in Raw Story. It uh, says that a woman who had accused Dr. Anthony Fauci of sexual assault now claims she was paid to lie about the public health expert by a pair of President Donald Trump's supporters. The woman says right-wing provocateur Jacob Wool and his frequent accomplice Jack Berkman persuaded her to cast Fauci as the assailant using details from an actual sexual assault she survived just after high school, and they paid her to do it, reported Reason. Quote, the reality is that I've known Jacob since 2018 and that he charmed me into taking money to do this, said Diana Andrade in an email to the website. They also had me do something like this back in January. And I'm curious to know what it was in January. Yeah, because they don't really talk about that anymore in the rest of the story here. Uh, Mm. Yeah. Andrade said she decided to abandon her claims and try to record incriminating evidence against the pair after Wool asked her to find another woman to accuse Fauci of sexual assault. As they've done to special, as they've done to former special counsel, counsel Robert Mueller and Senator Elizabeth Warren. They tried to tried to. Why aren't they in jail? Forward fake information about them. Also, uh, actually, I think they will be shortly. Uh, at least Not if William Barr has to say. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, that there's a bunch of fuckery around that that I'm sure we're going to hear more about in in the coming days. Um, but Andrade said she, or I'm sorry, let me tell you something, Diana said Berkman of on the nine minute. 35 second call. This guy shut the country down. He put 40 million people out of work in a situation like that. You have to make up whatever you have to make up to stop that train. And that's the way life works. Okay. That's the way it goes. Andrade reminds the pair that COVID-19 was dangerous and asked them to take the outbreak seriously. But Berkman seemed excited about mass deaths. Quote, mother nature has to clean the barn every so often. Berkman says, how real is it? Who knows? So what if 1% of the population goes? So what if you lose 400,000 people, 200,000 were elderly. The other 200,000 are the bottom of society. You got to clean out the barn. If it's real, it's a positive thing for God's sake, which is fucking monstrous. He's a, 
He's a yeah. psychopath. Yeah, that's 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 an unconscionable thing to say about 400,000 people dying. Ah, eh, well, half of them are old and fucking useless anyway, and the other half, well, they're not old, but they're still useless because they're the bottom of society. Wow. So I, I actually looked at the numbers yesterday. I don't have them in front of me. They might still be on a thing on my phone. But I don't see us eclipsing uh, American deaths during World War II or the Civil War. I think that was pretty high, too. But we definitely look like we'll eclipse the amount of deaths from World War One. So, what are the numbers in all of those different? Uh, let me look. Let me go find them again, real quick. So I looked them up the other day because I was kind of curious. Yeah. So, well, the American Revolutionary War had a total of fifty thousand U.S. casualties. Uh, the Civil War had six hundred and fifty-five thousand people killed. Wow. Uh, so, World War One. The total American deaths for World War One uh, was 116,516 dead, which I see us eclipsing that number. Oh yeah. World War Two were at World War Two were at 405,399 deaths. That one I see being like uh, that might be a little harder to eclipse, but the Korean War was 36,000. So we had. And the Vietnam War was 58,000. So we've already eclipsed those two wars. And we are slowly approaching our death toll from World War One. Wow. Which for World War One, we were in there from 1917 to 1918. 116,000 dead. Yeah, so right. World War Two, 41 to 45. So this yes, is uh... going to kill almost as much people in one year as we did in, in World War One. Yeah, well, right now, as of as of the time of recording, total number of deaths globally is two hundred eighty-two thousand eight hundred twenty-three, and of that number, eighty thousand four hundred twenty-two are just here in the United States. Yeah, and yeah, that's mm. that's nuts. That's an increase of. 12,175 people who have died over the last week just here in the United States of this. Like, What's, and at the bottom is for all the American wars combined, every person died that's died in an American war is 1.3 million. Yeah, well, and what's interesting about the, the number of cases and deaths here in the United States is that it's still down. So the, the overall number is trending down Right from week over week, there are f lower numbers for both uh, the number of people who have contracted the virus and the number of people who have died here in the United States. That number is is going down. What's interesting to me is that you know within the last week or two, we've seen a push to reopen the economy, and different states are pushing people to return back to work and 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 all of that kind of stuff. And though the numbers are still going down the the amount that they're going down has decreased. So they're now trending up again after we have started, you know, pushing people back into their workplaces and reopening bars well, and all of that kind of stuff. So the numbers are I, still I, going down a bit, but they're trending back up already. I'd seen a website that put, a, put the numbers out where they put them out. Okay, here it is with New York City in the mix. Mm -hmm. We are trending down with New York City in the mix. But if you take New York City out of the mix, 
it keeps trending up. Oh, yeah. Like, right now, New York is trending down, which is helping pull the overall average for the entire nation down. But the rest of America, the numbers are still climbing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think those numbers are going to continue to accelerate as we see more and more people venturing out yeah. into the wild and, and coming in close contact with other people. We're going to have another big breakout here soon. Yeah, we're going to have a second wave. It'll be like the second wave of the of the 1918 flu pandemic that pandemic when the the second wave was worse than the first wave because they tried to force reopening of things and and normalcy again way before it was appropriate to do so. Yeah. Now when when I looked those numbers the, the only area where I could find where they were underneath extreme strict lockdown during that one was San Francisco. It's the only one I keep seeing pop up. Mhm. So was the rest of the nation actually on lockdown during that, or was the rest of the nation so rural they didn't have to actually lock them down besides the major populous areas? That I don't know. During the 1918. Yeah. That I do not know. Because the, the numbers I keep, because I was looking that up, the numbers where I keep seeing it, where they did a, a lockdown, and then they opened it back up and had a huge spike, it keeps referencing uh, San Francisco, where it was a major populous area at the time that locked down and reopened and then it was way worse than it was the first time. Hmm. So, well, yeah, and they yeah. Didn't, didn't they have like a big parade or something that was a was a source of a lot of the transmission. Yeah, they they're like we're open, which you know will will fucking happen here too. But I mean, right now here, most stuff is canceled through August. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as events in like Fourth of July or the Pioneer Days here, any any public event through August here. Uh, it's pretty much canceled. Yeah. And there, so. I think the current projection that I saw for the number of deaths through like the beginning of August was like 130 something, which for the number that we have now seems like a low number. We'll have to, we'll have to see how things shake out. But I think especially with trying to reopen the economy, it's just going to drive those numbers higher. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I've, I've seen the restaurants that have been reopening, have been doing, uh, like, where they mark off different tables as being, like, you can't sit here, 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 but you can sit here and here. Mm-hmm. Trying to isolate people in the restaurants. But, I'm, it's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a catch-22, maybe. You want to open it so people can get back to work, but that could possibly make everybody sick. Yeah, which but it then would force more people out of work. Fail because... Yeah, because our government doesn't care about people. They care about corporations, and if that place isn't a corporation, they don't really give a fuck about what happens to them. Mm-hmm. Corporations are people. <laughs> no. no I, I know. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. Well, that'll wrap things up for us this week. Well, it was nice chatting with you two. Yeah. Yeah, you as well. And to have Allison on the phone. First guest we've had. Well, so there were a couple first there. So first guest of season seven, and then the first guest yeah. that we've had since we've had to do any kind of social distancing and stuff. So, so I hope it I hope it worked out well. It's, I mean, it sounded sounded good on my end. Yeah, I it, it was yep, so. yeah, it was weird and difficult. Like I, I had a hard time concentrating for some reason or forming my words Knowing into coherent sentences. Because usually when we're all sitting together we'll kind of give each other a look like hey i got something yeah i want to ask this question yeah we'll know like oh he's gonna ask something versus not knowing 
our social cues and know, hey, I got a question I want to ask. Yeah, well, and then yeah. build, you know, it makes it difficult. and then the the delay on Skype calls and everything, it just it makes it more difficult, especially when yeah. you know instead of just having one person on Skype and having a delay, there's you know three different people all on the same Skype call with a delay between me and everybody else on the phone and everybody on the phone with each other. It's just it's a little difficult sometimes. All right. We're, we're, we're getting through it. We're doing the best we can. <laughs> we're, we're trying really hard. <laughs> <laughs> we are. <laughs> well, happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there and, and to your mothers as well. I hope they're, well, I know Matt's mom isn't doing terrific. I hope your mother <laughs> is doing well, Ryan. I'll be giving my mother yeah, a call I, I, after this. I, I called my mother before we uh, did the podcast stuff. Yeah. Once again, That's happy, good. Ha- happy Mother's Day, Mom. <laughs> and so until next week, I'm going to go old school and just say crucify that like button. Leave a review and also become a subscribing member to American Atheist. And rate the show five times a day toward Mecca. No problem. Let me know when you're when you got them on. I'm sorry, if you were just talking to me, I was picking in my headphones. I didn't hear you. <laughs> oh, no problem. I just said, no problem. Let me know when you got your headphones on. <laughs> oh, got it. I do now. Then, <laughs> <laughs> Dan, I, I'll look forward to meeting you in person maybe next time in, in, uh, in Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we're back to somewhat normal times yeah. by then. <laughs> we strive for somewhat normal at our American Atheist Convention. So. <laughs> Fucking Carol Baskin. <laughs> <laughs> His superpower is being honest. <laughs> being honest, yeah. Yeah. I think that made me laugh. I think that bit of it made me laugh harder than any other bit in there, including the eat your <laughs> yeah, ass there. <laughs> His superpower is uh, being honest. And then this is the original. I- I'll admit it. I will eat my neighbors. I'm not letting my kids die. I'll- I'm just going to be honest. My superpower is being honest. I've extrapolated this out and I won't have to for a few years as I got food and stuff, but I'm literally looking at my neighbors now and going, am I ready to hang them up and gut them and skin them and chop them up? And you know what? I'm ready. My daughters aren't starving to death. I'll eat my neighbors. <laughs> See, my superpower is being honest. I'll eat your ass. I will. I'm <laughs> combat model, optimum self-sufficiency, probably the leader. <laughs> The point is, is have you thought about that yet? Because I'm probably the leader. I could fix this, and I'm starting to think about having to eat my neighbors. You think I like sizing up my neighbor? How I'm going to haul him up by a chain and chop his ass up? I'll do it. <laughs> my children aren't going hungry. I will eat your ass. <laughs> That's why I want the globalists to know I will eat your ass first. <laughs> I just imagine him conducting interviews. <laughs> Are you a globalist? Because I'm gonna lay. I'm gonna eat your ass first. <laughs> globalist ass is the tastiest wow. ass. I gotta say, Dan, <laughs> yeah. your your voice impression of him is very good. Well, thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you very much. Because it makes a difference not being able to see you do it. Just hearing it, like, wow, that's uh-huh. fucking spot on. I will eat your ass. <laughs> Better watch yourself, Ryan. Because I'll come over there. Don't think that I don't think about it. I do all the time. I think about coming over there and eating your ass. <laughs>
<laughs> You're oh, welcome. Good. <laughs> I'm, I'm the only one that can think of something. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a that's a rare one. You should enjoy it. I know. I'm I'm actually like smiling from ear to ear right now. <laughs> <laughs>